Welcome to The Wildlife, a program that probes the mysteries of the animal world through interviews with scientists and other wildlife investigators. I'm Laurel Neme, your host for The Wildlife, and also author of Animal Investigators, How the World's First Wildlife Forensics Lab is Solving Crimes and Saving Endangered Species. Today on The Wildlife, I'll talk about what happens when a new species is discovered with Alejandro Arteaga, the 19-year-old university student who discovered and named a new species of frog in Ecuador's Andean highlands, the bamboo rainpeeper. For Alejandro, finding the bamboo rainpeeper was like discovering a deeply held secret. It all started in February 2008 when Alejandro went to a protected area in the southeastern Ecuadorian Andes known as the Mazar Reserve at the southern portion of the Sangay National Park. The area is a combination of pristine montane forest and green pastures dotted with alpacas. As an amphibian nut, Alejandro was in heaven. Right away, he recognized the potential of this moist, well-conserved area because he knew that most of Ecuador's unknown amphibians were still hidden in isolated forests in the Andes, especially in the Southern Andes, a region whose topographic and ecological complexity has favored speciation, particularly among rainpeepers of the genus Pristamontis. In May 2009, he visited the area for a second time, this time supported by Fundación Cordillera Tropical, the NGO that manages the Mazar Reserve, and with a mission to document all of the reptiles and amphibians living in those forests. This was a critical step in recognizing whether the found species was potentially new or not. In this interview, you'll hear how discovering a species new to science is not an easy task, but in the right place, with the right information, and with the right assistance, the task becomes much easier and, as Alejandro says, even fun. You'll hear how he and his colleagues traipse through the forest late at night searching for tiny creatures with the aid of a headlamp, and how, during the day, they'd spend hours turning over logs and raking the leaf litter. The result was many seemingly identical little brown frogs that Alejandro at first grouped as the same species, mountaineer rainpeepers. However, after much hard work and observation, he uncovered differences in their songs and ecological preferences. He soon came to realize that those frogs that had a different song also were restricted to patches of bamboo forest, while the other seemingly identical frogs lived in old-growth montane forest and paramos. Neither habitats nor songs overlapped. The idea that he was dealing with a new species was the start of a two-year process of additional work to confirm, describe, and publish supporting data regarding the new species. He even got to name it. In May 2011, with the publication of his article in the prestigious journal Zootaxa, Alejandro announced to the world that Ecuador had a new frog, and that this one was in fact the country's 500th species of amphibians known to science. Alejandro Arteaga is an experienced and talented 19-year-old student from Venezuela studying biology at the Pontificia Universidad Católica del Ecuador. He's also the founder of Tropical Herping, a novel initiative striving to discover, document, and preserve tropical reptiles and amphibians through sustainable tourism, scientific research, and effective environmental education. For a long time, Alejandro has been interested in nature photography and Ecuador's astounding diversity, and in particular the diversity he has long considered most attractive and most in need of conservation, namely reptiles and amphibians. When I spoke with Alejandro, I started by asking him what got him interested in frogs. Well, um, I became interested in frogs um, about five or six years ago, uh, mainly because I used to live in an Andean region in Venezuela, which is very rich in amphibian fauna, and I made um, several ex um several outings in this in this place to the forest and I, all, every time I came across um, some of these frogs or salamanders perhaps I I really um, appreciated something very interested and, and unusual in them I also was very interested in birds but um, what I felt about frogs is that almost nobody quite understood them 
and they they were very interesting and and there is there was pretty much nothing known about them especially in these tropical regions i found that very interesting at first so that was the um the first step towards amphibians how did you come to be in ecuador if you're from venezuela well and that's um related to political reasons but um despite the location um I have continued working on amphibians. The thing is that um, after I finished school, I came to um, to Ecuador. Not not only because um, it is a quieter country, also because it has um, better um, research facilities for um, research. And I, I understood that some of the universities here were pioneers in um, amphibian investigation. So um, I found out about that and was eager to come to come here, particular to, particularly to Quito, which is one of the leading um, cities with um, amphibian research in Latin America. So that was um, what, oh really? Uh, why why Quito? Why is that a big center for amphibian research? Is well, it- um, for for two reasons. One because. Um, it is the capital of Ecuador, and Ecuador is um, one of the countries with the greatest proportion of endangered amphibians. And second, because has Quito is the hometown of uh, many great scientists in Ecuador, including um, Luis Coloma, and Juan Guayasamín, Martín Bustamante. Those were um, the, the investigators that led me towards Quito. They are widely published um, researchers. And they are famous in the um, scientific community because they have done um, great publication on amphibian declines and extinctions. So I, I heard a lot about them and about this city. And so I wanted to um, be part of this fantastic team and help um, foster the interest in amphibian conservation. Now, currently you're a student at the university? Yeah, that's right. I'm on the second year of my four-year career in biology. And is it for an undergraduate degree or a master's degree? It's an undergraduate degree. So it's pretty amazing all that you've done at such a young age already. (laughs) And, um, I mean, I was brought to you, as as you already know, but listeners don't, is um, because you recently discovered a frog yeah in the ecuadorian highlands and i'd love uh, andes and i'd love to hear about that what frog was it and i understand this isn't your first discovery of a new species well um actually this discovering a species includes a lot of steps um you you don't you don't actually know when you have come across a new species but um there are some clues that may point you towards that assumption and well, we're I'm working at the at the Masar Reserve, which is um, managed by Fundación Cordillera Tropical. I um I found some um, little frogs that actually did not match any of the previous descriptions that were done for Ecuador. That was very difficult to um to figure out at first because they are very alike. It's it's very difficult if if you look at. Um, 10 or 20 species put together um, in a terrarium, you would hardly find any difference. I- I'm talking about these um, rain peepers or rubber frogs, which are um, very variable and are small um, drab colored frogs. At first they look pretty alike, but when you start learning more, ab- more about them, including uh, about their ecology, about how they sing, about um, their uh, morphology, their ecological preferences, you start to see differences in the patterns of um, the, uh, in the patterns of their distribution, for example. It's not easy to assess that at first, but um, when, I, when I started working in this place, I, I found um, at least two different frogs that, di- that I thought were new. I wasn't sure about that back then, but um, one of those as caught my my attention right away because and it sang differently than other um recognized frogs from this area so to to recognize that it was different you had to actually know all about all the ones that existed already (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) that's exactly the way to be done Uh, so how many how many 
species are known already to exist of frogs um, in this region? In, in the world or in Ecuador? In, in Ecuador. In Ecuador, um, this would be like the 500th um, species described, which is actually um, quite, um, quite an achievement for this uh, very small country because um, only uh, two other countries in the entire world have more than 500 amphibians. That is um, Colombia and Brazil. So this would be the third country, and if you take in consideration the size of Ecuador, it would it would and Ecuador has the greatest um, density of amphibian species than any other country in the world. So it's quite quite important for this for for this country. Can you describe the Mazar Reserve? What what does it look like? What's what's special about it? Well, I can say the Mazar Reserve is a magical place. First, because um, there are many natural areas uh, left in the high Andes in Ecuador. Mostly has been modified by human settlement or agriculture. So pretty much has been destroyed. And this area is like, like, a, ha like a haven because it has um, very well-conserved mountain forests and paramos, which are two of the most imperiled um, ecosystems in the tropical region. And those, at first, they look, um, they, they look like they have um, been um, encroached in other, period, in other areas, so there are pretty much uh, only remnants of the original vegetation. But once you get into these places, you um, just start to discover the, the vegetation is... It's very is 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 magical at first. In the the area is covered by huge trees. Um, um, it is very moist. It has uh, it, it also has a, like a patchwork of um, different vegetation types. Um, in the lower part, you can also find cloud forest, and as you go up, the these uh, these forests start to um. To be to become um shorter, so you have shorter trees and shrubs, and in the upper part of the mountain mountains, you see uh, you find paramo, which is uh, a land formation which consists basically on on huge extensions of on um, grassland and shrubland in the higher areas of the mountains. It's it's very it's, it's great. It it's um a landscape that immediately caught my attention. Is this place very biologically diverse? What kind of animals do you find there? It, it it is an incredibly diverse um, area for 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 mammals, starting from for mammals, for amphibians, for, for birds. In mammals, you can find um, the Andean bear. You can find mountain tapir. Uh, there's also um, puma. Um, what else? Um, coatis. Um, mountain pacas and lots of other endangered um, mammals that can cannot be found elsewhere. In birds, there's a huge diversity. I'm not um, all that um, aware of of how many species there are, but I've seen uh, mountain toucans, quetzals, lots of tangaras, and hummingbirds, and a bunch of endangered um, little um, little passerine passerine birds. So it's very diverse in that respect too, and of course, in my area of, of of knowledge, I have seen that it is incredibly diverse in 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 frogs and amphibians, particularly in those um, small frogs I was talking to you about the those belonging to the Pristimantis genus, which are known as rubber frogs or rain peepers, and they have they are common throughout the Andes. But I was surprised because in this and in this uh, forest and the paramos, I uh, I found about nine nine different species. So that's quite a lot for a, for an area that at that high altitude and not it's it's not actually such a such a big area too. So it's quite a an important diversity. Oh, interesting. So so the rain peeper, What makes this genus special, or what are the characteristics of this genus, the Pristimantis genus? Well, um, Pristimantis is particularly important because it's um, the, the genus of frogs with the highest number of species. It is um, 
a, a group, a lineage of frog, frogs that have diversified so much that they have occupied almost any existing terrestrial habitat in the, in the tropics. They are very, very diverse. They have um, colonized many areas that our frogs have not. And they also have this very, very interesting reproductive behavior, which makes them very special because these frogs do not produce tadpoles. They lay eggs which hatch into miniature versions of their parents. So they sort of um, skip this larval stage and instead um, put, put eggs in terrestrial microhabitats, which allow them to colonize many, other many areas that are inaccessible to other frogs. So that makes them very special. Also, they are unique because they are highly variable polymorphic. They have lots of um, genetic variability, which makes them very um, adaptable to a lot of different habitats. And also, they have, um, they have been very, very little studied throughout, throughout the tropical regions where they inhabit. So it's very, a very interesting group. What do they look like? How you said they're very small. How big? Like the size of smaller than your thumb? Well, um, they're they usually are not larger than five centimeters. Usually smaller than that. Uh, of course, you have a whole um, range of sizes. And recently, um, the smallest one is at least in Ecuador is called um, Pristimantis minimus, and it and it, and it hardly. Um, goes over to, um, one centimeter. It's oh, really? Very, <laughs> it's very, very small. It was recently described. And yes, it's most of them are around two two three centimeters. Yeah, they're very small, particularly those at Masai Reserve. So how do you find them? <laughs> well, that's I'd say that that's the funny part because um, I, I love being, in, being out in the field and to find this, you either have to find them when they are active or when they are inactive. In the first case, um, the usual um, procedure is to um, go out during night into their habitat. That is to say, the forest or uh, in the paramo with the aid uh, of a headlamp and, and some other equipment such as GPS, um, uh, a field notebook. And you have to scan all the vegetation very, very carefully. You have to walk through um, trails or transects and look at every um, possible uh, leaf or twig that might be a good perch for these little frogs. Some of them are also terrestrial, so you can see them walking on the leaf litter or uh, on, the, on, on rocks beside streams. They're very active. Uh, whenever the vegetation is, is wet, so it's particularly useful to search for them after heavy rains. And yes, that's, that's a way to find them when they're active, but you, but you also can find them when they are sleeping, which is during day. And, that, and to, to do that, you have to um, rake the leaf litter because they like to, bur to um, bury themselves in the leaf litter or turn over rocks or logs, and they are most of the time laying there, just um, sleeping. Mm -hmm. Do they sleep with their eyes closed? How do you know they're sleeping? <laughs> well, um, and they, they do have their eyes closed, and they, um, they remain there motionless um, and, and active there. They just don't, uh, well, it is, it is believed that they don't eat when they are in this state. Instead, they, uh, they go out and forage during night. Of course, I, I'm not completely sure about this, but that's what I've heard. Yeah. And then, what about their songs? So when you're when they are active, mm -hmm. um, and you're picking, you're scanning the vegetation. Are, is there also a lot of noise? What do they sound like? Well, inside the mountain forest, there's pretty much no noise at all, other than some nocturnal birds such as owls but most of the uh, sound if the in, in inside the forest come come from these um from these frogs from the singing males um it actually is very very quiet and magical i, I would say they, the 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 canting is very very um soft very um 
it's not loud at all. It, it sounds like a like a chirp, and it's so sometimes when when you when you come across um, a relatively um, high concentration of singing males, you do um, hear uh, a chorus of of frogs singing. And but yes, I I think it's it's not loud at all. You you actually have to um, to listen very carefully to to determine where is the singing um, frog, um, where's the singing from, because most of the time you will you will have uh, a hard time locating where the singing is coming from. So you can't really use their song for location because can be deceptive and it's so soft you, you could use it um, but it's difficult what what you can do in this case uh, is to have an assistant help you in in that matter because it is difficult because um, frogs have this um, this um, capacity this ability to um, to appear to be singing in a place where they are not really <laughs> So they can throw their voice. Absolutely, else. absolutely. <laughs> really. <laughs> so it's it's very difficult to spot where where the singing is coming from, especially in dense vegetation. It appears they are sometimes it appears they are calling from, um, from closer than they actually are, or from a higher spot that they actually are. So it's it's actually very difficult. But once you have two people looking for, uh, hearing the same the same singing frog. And trying to spot where this, uh, where the um, the sound is coming from, you can have the two um, beams of the headlamp pointing towards the same direction. And when those two beams cross, then you know that's the exact location where the singing is coming from, because you have two different observers, two different people hearing. And then um, when you when those two people, which are in different position, um, point towards the same direction and and the, and then, in, then the beams overlap, and you know the frog is probably is probably there, almost a hundred percent sure. Really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> and so, when you came across this um, bamboo rain peeper, as mm-hmm. I understand, you have named this species. Is that yeah. right? <laughs> so tell me, tell me the whole story. How? What happened? When did you first see it, or think something was di- something was different? Well, um, everything started as soon as I was um, invited by Stuart White and Ka- and Catherine from Cordillera Tropical to work in their um, the Masar Reserve, um, performing an amphibian survey, an inventory. Um, I started searching the forests around an area that's called La Libertad, and I was surprised because I found many, many, um, many different frogs. They were highly variable, but I grouped them all together under the same species, which I, which I thought was like uh, was a mountain rainpeeper, another species. Um, but one day. I had seen both, um, not only this, not not only this species, but but many others too. The thing is that one day I I noticed that some of the some of these frogs sang kind of differently than than others, particularly those at higher elevations. So I didn't know that at first, but um, as soon as I I related this um, this difference in in the singing with the ecological um, preferences, I noticed that there was there there must there there might be more than one more more than one species. I, I wasn't sure about them because superficially this um, bamboo rainpeeper and other rainpeepers look pretty much alike. So singing was the uh, the clue that get, um, that pointed me towards the assumption that it might be a new species. So what I did was um, not only to compare the singing to a, um, through, a, through a sound um, analyzing system, but also to compare differences in habitat preference, such as um, type of vegetation, uh, such as 
trade type such as um, the active hours and also compare some morphological um, morphological traits to see if they uh, if there actually was more than one difference that was the first step and as soon as I um, started working on them and learning more about these two frogs I was very I became convinced that they were not the same I wasn't sure but and so I, I needed to to um, to know more about this and that's that was the um, that that's that's why I I search um, some some assistance in in the Catholic University in Quito, and yes, I, I showed them the data I had, and I also had the I also received the the support um, the the support I needed to continue on this. I that's every as every time I I learn more about these two species. Um, I became more confident that they were not the same. So that's that's how it happened. You said that they look alike. What exactly do they look like? Are they brown? Are they green? They're um, brown. They are all uh, small brownish frogs. They are um, they are superficially um, not distinct from from one another. You said the type of vegetation varied, and the prey types varied, and the active hours. That must have involved a lot of sitting there watching them. <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, so how many, do <laughs> many many nights um, being out and um, watching them move around to sit and wait um, and see what they do, what they did. And um, of course, I I was m many times I was um, accompanied by other m many fantastic um, people who worked me who uh, who helped me. Uh, working with these frogs, so we kind of um, split tasks, and uh, some people took photo photographs, some people recorded callings, some others um, gathered information about ecology, some others were um, were taking geographical points. So yes, we kind of split um, some so, some of the tasks, and just the. Of course, the most important was to to see what they did, and that gave that gave us a huge a huge um, hint on what um, on on what was difference be what was the difference between these two um, these two new frogs. And what <laughs> was the difference? They lived in different places. Okay, the most evident difference was that the bamboo rain peeper, which is this this new species um prefers or is restricted to this um patch of forest which is dominated by bamboo um this mountain bamboo which is called chuskia and it it actually isn't like um a very old or um pristine vegetal formation instead it's like a more secondary type of forest hmm. and the other the other frog and is is most often found in the paramo or in the and in the upper parts of the mountain forest where where you have old old trees and very um pristine vegetation it's it's a quite clear um dif uh, quite clear difference in in ecology oh interesting and do they eat what do they eat are there differences in that the um the diet was very very difficult to analyze so i actually don't have many data about that Instead, I do have um, I do have data on, for example, um, on the singing, the the habitat preference, and the for example the altitude and in which they are distributed. But I didn't find many about um, what they eat. It's very very difficult because you're you don't actually see them eating that much. It's I, I think it's just a matter of luck to go and be in the right place and the right time just when they are happening to be eating someone something. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you take pictures of a frog before they disappear? Well, um, these rain peepers are very um, quiet. They, they, you can find them sitting in the vegetation and they almost appear to be doing nothing there. It's, they're just sitting there and waiting for a random prey to come by. 
And so you can take advantage of that. And so that's what I did. I um, had an assistant um, holding two, two flashes, two off-camera flashes to, um, to, to have a light source during night because otherwise you cannot take pictures in, in complete darkness. And well, I had this, I, I, I had the camera and of course with the aid of, with the aid of these flashes, I, I could take pictures mm -hmm, as they were, were they're active. And did you have to collect the frogs as well? Yes, of course, not not all of them, but um, it is for for any um, for any for a description to be valid among the scientific community, there has to be um, voucher specimens, and that means that uh, certain certain frogs must be um, collected and brought back to an authorized. In institutions such as a museum and uh, in a university, um, in order for uh, for the um, the description the the publication to be valid, because otherwise it would be impossible to have um, to say that a species it is actually a new one without this like um, backup information. With the voucher specimens, do you also submit recordings of their songs? Or mm -hmm. um, specimens are almost worthless without associated data. So, um, in I, what I had to do was to um, to attach um, recordings, um, ecological information, data about um, location, for example, timing, and of course. Um, information about the collector and the date, the time, all of those are important uh, important dat data to include with each um, which, with each specimen. Mm -hmm. What else do you do? You have to write a paper on it and also do genetic testing? Yes. And the first the first step was um, to write the paper was to um, to complete the field work. One in during the field work I gather all the the data that I needed. Then came this um, a, a, a phase which is, was done in the lab, which included taking morphological measurements, um, information about skin texture, and compares and to compare the the new frog with other recognized species to be sure that it, that it was new, um, and to complement this data, which was preliminary, um, I had to perform. Um, a genetic analysis. A genetic analysis um, lets us um, be sure, well, almost be completely sure that the, that the new species actually is. So it is a very, very strong complement and it, it actually confirms the, confirmed the initial assumption. It, it included taking tissue samples and sending those to a lab to a lab laboratory in the in the U.S. that would analyze those and send send us um, some sort of graphic which showed the genetic genetic relatedness um, of this species um, and other very closely related um, frogs. So that's what we did, and it confirmed our our initial assumption that the Rain, bamboo rain paper was, as a matter of fact, new. And when did you get to name it? <laughs> what? When does that come in? <laughs> well, um, that, 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 I think that that's the most um, the most rewarding part of it, because um, when you do all this research, you have like the privilege to choose a name, a, a name to um, to this new frog. Of course, um, it has to be um, a very, um, a logic, scientifically sound name. It, it cannot be just anything, but I mean, it's, it's pretty flexible. And once you have the descriptions, um, the description done, and you're you're about to present the paper for publication, then you can choose a name that suits. The the species and is um and is and is in concordance with the um this 
the International Code for Zoological Nomenclature, which kind of rules um, how species should be named. And if you um, go in line with this code, then you can pretty much name it the way you want it. Really? <laughs> that must have been fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> and why did you choose the bamboo rain peeper? Well, um, mainly because this um, new amphibian is restricted to a forest that's dominated by the bamboo species Chuskia. It is, it is, as far as I know, it is not found in any other type of forest which is not dominated by this very interesting bamboo. So it's, it's, very, it's a strong relation. And I've seen before that many, many other species, including birds and mammals, are very tied to... Um, Forest for uh, to bamboo forests, and I think this is the first time that this has been um, re um, reported for a frog, a frog that's only found in bamboo forests. So I thought it would be uh, appropriate to name it that way. Do you know how many exist in the wild? How many of the bamboo rainpeeper exist? Ah, well, that would be very difficult to assess because I I have not yet perform like a monitoring project but I, I would say they're um, pretty um, stable in in this very small forest there are they have um, very um, healthy population numbers the problem is not how many frogs there are in this forest but the fact that the for the forest in itself this patch of bamboo dominated forest in itself is rather small so if it happened to be cleared or if it happened to be destroyed for, um, for agriculture or for pastures, then there would be a huge problem because it's, it is the only um, place where the species is known to, to be. So it hasn't been found anywhere else? No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Interesting. This is the first species that you've, new species you've found or do you have other ones that you've found and they're in different stages right now? Yes, I, we have found um, many, well, many, like five or four first species in this area. Not, not only me, other, um, there's other great investigator called Martin Bustamante that has worked in this area before. And he worked um, for, for several years there and found two, two frogs that he three frogs that he believed were new. And he already described one of those. Two, um, I'm working with him on the description of the other two. And well, there's also, there's also an, an interesting thing with the latest um, description of uh, the bamboo rainpeeper because uh, as we run the genetic analysis, we found out that one of the of the species, the the mountain rainpeeper, that we thought was actually that species, it happened to be another one, because um, although it, it looked exactly the same and it matched in, in almost every morphological feature, the genetic analysis told us that it was a different one. So we would have never discovered that without the aid of this. Um, without the aid of the step of, of genetics. So that was very interesting, and that's um, the, next, um, the, the next step towards um, the description of, of this another one. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so what's, I have to ask, what's your favorite frog? <laughs> well, I'd say, I'd, say the, I'd say the bamboo rainpeeper because it, feels, it almost feels like a sun. Describing describing a, a new frog, it's 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 very interesting. It it feels like a a small contribution to um to science and conservation. It feels it is a small effort. Um, a, a part of a, a big a, in comparison with the huge effort that needs to be done to to in Ecuador, but still um it feels it feels um. Like, that's my favorite frog. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
makes sense. That makes sense. What's the what's the strangest frog in that area? In that area, yeah. Mm. Okay, that's a difficult question, but <laughs> I would say it's the um, marsupial frog because it is it is this um, large paramo frog that can be that's that's unique because it um it carries the the tadpoles inside inside a some sort of dorsal pouch such as kangaroos, but it's a frog. It's not marsupial. So it has like this very strange reproduction, um, this this method. So um, I I think that's the, the strangest one. That does sound strange. Is it the males that carry the tadpoles? No, or the, the, the females. females. The females have like a backpack. It's like it's, it's pretty much like a backpack, and the the male when as soon as the eggs are, are fertilized. Mag, the male um, inserts the egg inside this dorsal pouch, so they um, grow um, with the um, nourishment of the mother. And as soon as they are ready and ready to hatch, the the mother brings um, brings them to a to a pond and releases them um, through this um, through a, through a, some sort of zipper in in her back. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, one for one, all the tadpoles are released into the pond. Mm-hmm. So this is not one where you get a miniature frog. Exactly. It's, it's a completely different re- reproduction type. Huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a strange one. And that's called the marsupial frog? Yes. <laughs> is that only found in Ecuador? No, no. There, there are... Um, Distributed throughout southern, northern South America, and Central America, I think. Yeah. For such a young person, it's mm-hmm. unusual to be discovering species so so young. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, there are many, many new species out there. the The difficult part is to give them a name. Not, not actually to figure out a name but to make the new name valid through a publication. Because it takes... Well, it, it took me and all the people that I work with like like a year. So, it, and it was a lot of work. Um, but other than that, there are many, many new species out there. And it's very, very, very um, exciting to come, to come across new ones um, every time you, um, you survey a new unexplored area. It's, it's fantastic. So this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if for the last, rest of my life. <laughs> I, I, would, I would be pleased if all, this news, all of the species that need to be described in Ecuador were named before I die. So that would be fantastic. I'm not sure if that's possible, of course, but that would be great. Otherwise, of course, um, herpetology is very um, a very wide area of science. So I I also love working on reptiles, on including snakes and lizards and on other um, other parts of the science, such as e- ecology, um, such as um, um, such as guides for. Uh, for reptiles and amphibians, and I also enjoy uh, photographing them. And so, well, but of course, um, this, uh, naming naming a new species is certainly interesting and fun. Now, you have a website, and what prompted you to start that? And what kind of information can people find there? Well, um, uh, we um, well, tropical herping um, is. Is a company that uh, a, a good friend of mine and I started um, just about a year ago, and was to um, with the uh, with the goal to of promoting um, of fostering or fostering reptile and, and amphibian conservation through sustainable tourism, and this is something that has previously been done successfully with birds, but has very has. Um, very few times or almost 
not or almost none um, been attempted before. So uh, the idea behind this um, this project is um, giving pro providing some um, tours or um, workshops for people to get to know amphibians and reptiles up close so they can actually f and figure out how cool they are and so they we, we want to teach people how important herbs are and to teach them the, the techniques to study them to appreciate them and in our, our to sum it up it would be like we want to um to sow this passion for herbs among the greatest number of people so we have the support needed to conserve this uh, very imperial group of animals. So this, the website is tropicalherping.com. Yes. Does it focus just on Ecuador? Well, um, we're, um, my, my friend, which is called uh, Lucas Bustamante, and I are currently based in Ecuador. But the idea is to expand it to other um, other areas first in Latin America and then throughout the throughout the tropical tropical areas in the world, and which are the most imperiled areas when it comes out to amphibians and reptiles. Of course, um, I think we are very very um, lucky and privileged to be in Ecuador and to be able to in, to put in place this tropical herping project in Ecuador because Ecuador has a, one of the greatest concentration of endangered amphibian species and reptiles as well. So it, was, it is a great place to start. It, there are many, many things to, to see and amphibians and reptiles need our, our help if they are um, to survive in the near future. So why are they so threatened? Well, in the case of um, amphibians, there is there is this um, huge um, cause that's the global warming and well, global warming, um, infectious diseases, pollution that have been uh, wiping out entire populations in um, in in just months or or well, in that started. Um, some some decades ago, like two decades ago, and the effects are very clear. Many species have gone extinct, and well, uh, that's, that's that's it's very um very visible and sad. For example, for me because I, I I'm 19 years old and I have I have not um, have the opportunity to see um, other than museum specimens in alcohol. Many many species that were that used to be very very common in Ecuador, so it's it's very sad. In the in in what in in reptiles, the main cause of decline has been uh, habitat destruction. So there's is there has been um, um, huge huge modification of the environment, particularly in on coastal Ecuador and and on the Andes. So in the coast, almost two percent of the original forest on cover is 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 left, and in the Andes is pretty much that number, not 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 so um critical, but still. So those um those threats are pushing both amphibians and reptiles towards extinction at an ever increasing rate. It's very very concerning. If people are interested, what could they do to help or learn more? Well, um, there's many, many ways in which um, people can help amphibians and reptiles. One of this, um, this organization called Amphibian Arc, they have, they're managing um, ex situ conservation programs in which they, um, they rare population of endangered amphibians which are pretty much critically endangered and in in controlled lab facilities in order to introduce them back into the wild and so they so these um, critically endangered um, animals hold a chance to be saved 
they're doing an excellent project and they accept um, donations and I think that's one of the front lines to, um, to help amphibians. Other options include to purchase um, to purchase natural areas that are in in threat of being lost for from for agriculture or human settlement. So that would be a great idea. If of course m many people would would not know where to buy these lands, but they can contribute, for example, by donating for donating to to organizations such as Conservation International which protects wide, um, large areas of tropical forests, um, or to, um, to uh, local organizations such as Fundación Cordillera Tropical, which is in doing some great, great work on the southern portion of the Sangay National Park and adjacent areas. By supporting these organizations with, um, that already have um, many years of experience, um, people can actually help um, conserve amphibians. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much for, for the interview. It's been fun. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that conversation about the discovery of a new frog species in the Ecuadorian Andes with Alejandro Arteaga, a 19-year-old biology student in Ecuador. Edited transcripts of selected programs are available on my website, laurelnemi.com, and also on mongabay.com. That's M-O-N-G-A-B-A-Y.com. You can also find archived episodes of The Wildlife on iTunes, at my website, laurelnemi.com, and at laurelnemi.podbean.com. You can stream The Wildlife live at theradiator.org every Monday from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Of course, if you have any comments about this show or ideas for future ones, you can email me at laurel at laurelneme.com. This has been The Wildlife. I'm your host, Laurel Neme, and you're listening to The Radiator, 105.9 FM, WOMMLP in Burlington, Vermont.